Welcome to Council 4 Unplugged. I'm Larry Dorman of Council 4 of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. We proudly represent 30,000 hardworking women and men throughout the great state of Connecticut. And our guest today is Donald Cohen. He is the executive director of In the Public Interest. He's got a lot to say about something that we call privatization, outsourcing, contracting out, and how all of that impacts the public good. So without further ado, I want to welcome Donald Cohen to Council 4 Unplugged. Thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure, and I'm really glad you gave us some time as you're uh, doing a quick trip through Connecticut. Um, Donald, let's start with the basics. Tell us what in the public interest is and what exactly you do. So we're a national nonprofit think tank and policy center and strategy center. We help folks all around the country, unions, community groups, policymakers, think about how to prevent important public goods from being outsourced or privatized, but also how to make government work better. So let's just start with the fundamentals. Um, tell our audience how you define privatization. So we have a pretty broad definition of privatization. It's we I describe it as private control over public goods. And so there's, and when I say public goods, I mean health is a public good. An educated population is a public good. A clean environment is a public good. The stuff that we all need and that we can only do together. We can only get everybody educated if there's a public school system. We can only get everybody health care without you know, significant public involvement. So when private interests get control over those things, either through private contracts um, or long-term leases of road systems or parking meters in cities, or even sometimes there's even deregulation where private uh, food manufacturers are become responsible for overseeing their own food line, the safety of their own food without inspectors. So that's what we mean. And what, what we're for is public control over public goods. That we need to make sure that we can set our own standards, that we have transparency, that if we believe health is a public good, then we should be thinking about how do we make sure everyone in America not, doesn't just have health care, but actually is healthy. So that's how we, you know, it's real simple for us. There's private control and there's public control. And we think things that are public should be under public control. Clearly, though, what we're seeing um, across government, you know, across this country over the last 40 to 50 years is a sustained and, and concerted attack on what you just described. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that comes from a few places. Um, there are ideologically conservative people that think that government should be sort of the last resort or that we should organize society uh, in a way that we're all individuals and we just pay for what we want and, uh, and we only get what we can afford. Um, that's, and, you know, that's kind of a, a, a conservative response to the New Deal ethic of we need to, you know, we're in it together mm -hmm. and we should be doing things together. So that's one you know, they didn't like the New Deal. They didn't, you know, these conservatives didn't like the New Deal. They didn't like the Clean Air Act. They didn't like the, all of the laws that were passed in the early 70s to make our food healthier, our cars safer, our air cleaner. Right. But then there's also a ton of money involved every year in America. Governments of all kinds, from school boards to the federal government, every year we spend $7 trillion of tax money of one form or another. 
And there are huge companies and huge industries that right. want a piece of it. I just want to emphasize trillion. That was seven trillion. So three quarters of a trillion we spend on, on K-12 education. There's a massive number of companies that are trying to get their hands on that through tech, through privatization. We spend about $100 billion, give or take, on corrections. There are private prison companies that want a piece of every, you know, want as right. big a piece of that as mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. so it really is sort of a grab for the cash. Yes. Um, and then it's kind of wrapped in a, what some might call, you know, a package of government bad, private sector good, government inefficient, private sector e efficient, um, none of which is actually, on, you know, as a generalization true. There's good efficient government agencies and inefficient. There's efficient companies and inefficient. Um, it's really about how we, you know, how we run the world, but we're sort of wrapped in this ethic or this cultural dynamic of government bad. And that's right. been 40 years of hammering on that. Right, right. And what it's done is it's allowed big, wealthy, powerful corporations and special interests, correct, to get a toehold or more than a toehold in, in how public services, things that are supposed to be for the public good, are provided. Absolutely. So you see it as a mix both of kind of this ideology that government stinks, you know, mm -hmm. government can't get it done, coupled with the cash grab. The yes. fact is is that it's really super profitable um, for corporations to be administering public programs. Absolutely. There's, like I said, there's $7 trillion. Now, there's also there's folks in politics who would like to, you know, get rid of unions and get rid of... There's folks in politics that don't want people to vote. Right. Right? Yeah. And if the vote, if we're not all, you know, encouraged to vote, we don't all have an equal voice in democracy, then those with more money and more power get to sort of, you know, get mm -hmm. to uh, tilt the rules in their favor. That's what they do. Our guest is Donald Cohen. He is the executive director of In the Public Interest, a think tank that explores in detail uh, the pro problems and the perils, I would say, of uh, privatization and contracting out. He is our guest on Council 4 Unplugged. And, and Donald, you last year put out a paper entitled Dismantling Democracy. Uh, I would urge our listeners to go online at ITPI and check it out. Uh, it's also on our Council 4 website. Uh, but talk a little bit about this paper because it, it encapsulates what you just said, which is the 40-year attack on government and the long game for the public good. That's the subtitle of your report. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I have uh, read a lot of history and political science and just all kinds of stuff uh, and try, wondered what happened, based on the, the question, to try to answer the question, what happened in America from the early 60s where people trusted government, they were willing to pay taxes, um, we felt like we were all in it together at some level. Didn't that wasn't everybody? We still hadn't passed the Civil Rights Act in the first uh, part, you know, in the early '60s. But there was sort of a different sense of who we, that you know we're a nation that takes care of things. And then if you roll forward to the '90s and 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 to today, people don't like government. You know, you see it all over, and it's not an accident. There are things. Nothing happens unless people make it happen. So there's. So if you look at what some of the we look what I in the paper in the booklet I look at what the different strategies were. If you cut taxes and cut taxes and cut taxes, services do decline. When services decline, people are frustrated. Blame the government. Um, there there have been a whole set of sort of 
ideas that just were just hammered over and over again. Government inefficient. What about the DMV? I, you know, you go to the DMV now, and at least where I live, and it's actually pretty efficient. But we all think the DMV is like, you know, uh, something out of The Simpsons, right. you know, the TV show. And so the point of that, and I looked at a whole set of things that they did, and the point of that is if we want to advance public goods and advance the common good, we're really all kind of in it equally together, and everyone's got a decent opportunity, then you need government, and you need effective, you need efficient, you need responsive, you need inclusive government because to be able to do those things. The only way you get to send a letter to any house in America at the same price exactly. is if there's, is with government involvement. Now, it could be regulation, it could be a whole set of things. The only way you get everyone in a home that they can afford is with government involvement. The only way, so there are things that can only be done that together, which means public, which means government. So that's part of our big challenge. If you know, if, if, you know, going forward, to how do we face the big challenges of the day? Inequality, climate change, um, uh, lack of voice, and, la and, and, and lack of solidarity. The only way you do that is creating an us where we really are all in it together. Right. And you need a public in, public institutions to do that. And that's fascinating because really what you're saying is that um, privatization, outsourcing, uh, are concepts that really, um, again, it, it undermines government. So it creates a climate in which um, perhaps people are coming to have fewer expectations uh, mm -hmm. that government can deliver. Mm -hmm. So it really is... Um, kind of almost part of this effort to dismantle the notion of good government and of, of good public services, quality public services? It's exactly what it's part of. I mean, in fact, there are strategy documents and conservative strategists in the 80s who wrote papers that said that, that, said that privatization is a key strategy to downsize and weaken government's ability to provide these services because what they said is instead of... Uh, you know, cutting popular services, let's give that to the private sector and let's let them cut it. <laughs> and then we, so you sort of see the chopping and chopping and chopping, but we haven't said to the people that we're taking away their services just yet. Right. Um, I'd like to ask you if you could talk about some of the troubling trends um, you've seen in privatization and, and also to our listeners, we Donald has positive stories to tell and, and a positive vision, which is what his dismantling democracy papers about. But, um, for example, one thing I've heard you talk about, and I'd like you to elaborate on it for our listeners, is um, the parking meter situation in the city of Chicago. It's a good. It's a good illustrative story and a horror story. So in the year 2009, the city of Chicago was, as every city and, and all of us were in trouble because of the, you know, the, the Great Recession. They were bleeding red ink. So on a Friday, the mayor at the time was Mayor Daley, comes, you know, announces a proposal from three companies. One was a Morgan Stanley, Wall Street uh, investment house. Another was a, 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 fir a fund from the Middle East, an investment fund from the Middle East. And a third was a national parking company. And he said to the city, they will give us $1.1 billion tomorrow in exchange for the city's control of the city's 36,000 parking meters for 75 years. And he asked, and then they had to vote on Tuesday. So there was no scrutiny of the deal. Now, they're desperate. 
Okay, they do the deal. Here's what became true after the fact that is illustrative to every kind of public service and every, you know, contracting of every public services. What they found out after it analyzes two things. One is stupid way to borrow money on your future parking. 75 years, we don't even know if we're going to have cars. But let's say there was no choice. They got taken. They sold a billion dollars too cheap. The Wall Street people just, you know, negotiated a, a circles around them. But secondly, I think is even more fundamental, is now we have to keep their interests whole, contractually obligated to keep those companies whole. If the city wants to eliminate spots for bus rapid transit or bike lanes or street malls or what have you, they've got to buy the seats back, the, excuse me, they got to buy the spots back. So wow. think about it, and that's true even if it's a street fair for the weekend. Ooh. So think about it, you're a city council member, you want to do a street fair, but it's going to cost you extra million bucks or whatever it's going to cost. You don't even make the proposal because there's other more greater needs. Um, so what that affects, because you have written in their interests into the provision of a public service, um, we have and we have to keep them whole. We're now our, the city of Chicago. Their hands are tied to some extent on a whole set of important public policy issues, mm. housing land use, environment, transportation. We have to consider their interests first. And you see that in all kinds of contracts. That's frightening. And is there an estimated cost to taxpayers of this boondoggle? Well, the, the parking, well, parking rates went way up fast. Yeah. So they weren't taxpayers, but I mean. Gotcha. Thing, yeah. you know, financial impact. Yeah, the financial impact. People, people had to pay a lot more for parking. And um, they, the private operators made their money back pretty quickly. It's all gravy. Mm -hmm. And now the city, like you say, is handcuffed when they want to try to do, uh, for example, stage activities for the common good, which it, is what you're that's right. always talking about. And we, so we see, we look at details of contracts because they're rigid documents. So right. private prison contracts we found have bed guarantees. Fill, um, keep the beds filled, 80, 90, somewhere 100%, or pay anyway. We want more flexibility to be able to reduce prison populations at the right, at the right pace, but now we got to keep them filled for them or we have to pay for it either way. So there's no, there's no incentive to downsize, at least at mm -hmm. that point, or to reduce the number of population in oh. the prisons. Boy, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, and I just want to, when we, you talk mm -hmm. about the failure of the um, Chicago um, parking situation, that might be an example, too, where uh, it wasn't a case where thousands of, or hundreds of employees, public employees, were displaced. It wasn't. It just clearly was a boondoggle, a financial disaster for mm -hmm. for residents, for uh, visitors, for businesses. Right. And, you know, that's kind of what we say about privatization. It's not necessarily about the fact that there may be job loss, so that's not a good thing. And we represent many of the people who are impacted by contracting out and privatization, but it's that financial impact and the deprivation of services to the local community. It, yeah, absolutely. It's it's mostly about that. Right. This so, was not about layoffs or saving money on no, the backs of fewer employees. No, I mean, it's something I say a lot is, first off, we have to remember things cost money. Things we value cost money. Second thing is there's really only one source of that money in this country, and that's us. So, period. <laughs> There's only one <laughs> right. source of money. Right. We can pay through taxes. We can pay through individual, you know, put money in the meter. We could, any, but that's yeah. it. So if you want to add private profit in there, that's money that, uh, you know, let's they take a private prison. Privately, publicly traded companies have to return investments for their shareholders, have CEOs that are very well, and executives that are very well paid. Those dividends 
those investment returns, those CEO salaries, money they spend on politics or lobbying, all that money is money that's not being spent in the prison on, on health care, on education programs or, you know, or, or job training programs. It's money you're taking out, and that's true in every case. Yeah. They say cheaper. We say, what are you going to spend less money on? Because you've got to take a whole bunch of money and you're taking it out of the system. Right, you're extracting. Exactly. And you could be cutting wages. So you private, private prisons, wages are very low mm-hmm. for those corrections officers. High turnover. Unsafe prisons. Right. I mean, it all leads back to what are we trying to accomplish. You know, I did want to ask you, and we're talking with Donald Cohen in the public interest, private prisons, um, how and why is that a cash cow, for lack of a better phrase? Well, because, uh, you know, private prisons get paid uh, two ways. They get a per diem. You know, so they want heads in beds. Every head in bed gives them cash. Simple. They negotiate the per diem. They negotiate well. Mm. Some private prisons, many private prisons, the prison itself is owned by the private prison company, and they, in addition, get the lease payments. They're the landlord. And that's, you know, it's, there's, there's a constant flow. And you mentioned, I believe it was Mother Jones, there was an expose a couple of years ago, uh, a writer who went undercover mm-hmm. as, a, yeah. as a correctional officer at yep. a Mississippi. Shane Bauer, yeah. Yep, so you know the story. Mm-hmm. Um, the pay is abysmal, oh, working conditions are terrible. Uh, there is also increased violence and, you know, lack of resources to control um, prison uprisings and prison violence. Am I correct? That's right. I mean, you know, what do you need in prisons? You need adequate staffing, right, with professional corrections officers who, you know, who know what they're doing. You need good health care. You need programs. So people, you know, for job training programs and other or mental or, or mental health programs so that when people are released from prison, they have a chance of not coming back because they could get a job. That's the stuff you need in prisons. And all that stuff costs money. And it's the right thing to do, but it gets in the way of profits. And just to make sure that we're expanding this in the proper way, corporations, companies like the Correction Corporations of America have tremendous lobbying power and tremendous political action power. Mm-hmm. They are big donors to a lot of the same ideologically inclined um, politicians who favor privatization. Is that also Absolutely. It's yeah. absolutely true. And there's even another thing that I, I it's a dynamic that happens that I think is important to understand. Corrections Corporation of America, they actually changed their name. They're now called Core Civic. They're a publicly traded company on the stock exchange. The other major one is the mm-hmm. GEO Group. Uh, they have to report to the Securities and Exchange Commission every year their financials and what, you know, there's a section in their financials, uh, their documents called risk factors. They have to tell their investors what things could hurt them financially. So they have skin, what I, I call it, they have skin in the game. So any policy, just think, put your, pretend you're them, any policy at a state level on sentencing reform or anything that could affect criminal justice, that could affect them, they kind of have to weigh in on because they're, they are, you know, they have fiduciary obligations to their shareholders to make sure that they're making money. Right. So, uh, their interests are very clear. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not to say everything they weigh in on. Maybe they've got an idea that works. I don't know. There may be something. But the point is their interests are to make money. Yeah. And that's what they do. That's, that's what corporations do. It's okay. Right. But it's just not our problem. And it, when it gets in our way, that's a real problem. 
Well, I'll tell you and our listeners a quick story, and I'd, I'd like your response. A few years ago, uh, we engaged in a long but ultimately successful battle in a city here in Connecticut, Bristol, Connecticut, where the Board of Education happened to be uh, a new wave of Republicans got elected, took over the board. Uh, they were um, hell-bent on privatizing, so they hired um, Whitson's Food Service to take over. Uh, paid Whitson's a lot of money. Whitson's got a good deal. The city of Bristol's taxpayers were underwriting the equipment. Um, and uh, it, it took almost four years of protracted legal fights, but we, uh, uh, Whitson's left Bristol, and our, our members uh, remain employed as mm -hmm. Board of Education employees. Mm -hmm. And um, But it did cost taxpayers um, some money. Uh, it caused the workers great distress and their argument all along we represent the cafeteria workers in the city of bristol along with other board non-certified board of ed workers but their whole point was in board meeting after board meeting um that you know we love these kids we serve the kids mm -hmm. and having a company come in with its shortcuts displacing staff the kids recognize we know their we know their dietary needs um you know, it was a really it, – it was moving to see them standing mm -hmm. up for their jobs, but not because they wanted their jobs protected, but because they thought this was bad for the kids. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we were able to prevail um, because we had a union and we could file legal actions and so on. But um, So it was kind of a lesson in how privatization can, can harm people. And but food service, school food service, unfortunately, is one of those areas. Well, and uh, school transportation, bus service. Mm -hmm. We, uh, I believe, if I have children and – and I believe that everybody who touches the kids, the, the, you know, in, the, in school, the, the bus driver, the custodian, the clerical folks in the office, the cafeteria workers are part of the kids' education. There could be a custodian that changed some kid's life because, you know, he picked him off off the ground when some kid, other kid, you know, bullied him or something like that. So they are educators in our view. There's no and and there's plenty of examples. Exactly. Any of us who has kids know that for know that we don't have to be convinced of that. So that's the first thing I say. And kind of the bottom line, I was saying earlier, things cost money. So if you you know if a company comes in and wants to provide the food, they're going to have to cut something. They're either going to get too much money. They're going to get a contract, a sweetheart deal, and that costs too much. That money we could be putting elsewhere, or they're going to have to cut something. And when you're talking about food, you could cut the pay of the cafeteria worker, the number of cafeteria workers, the quality of the food. There's, it's a very finite list of things that you do, that you can do to save money. None of those are in our interest. And, you know, again, in your organization is in the public interest. Uh, what positive trends are you seeing, and, and what are some of the prescriptions that uh, ITPI is, is, is advocating to state and local governing bodies and to policy people? Um, some positive trends. We see some places that are really seriously looking at insourcing and uh, because it's cheaper and better. I mean, it's cheap, it, you know, it's often cheaper to insource. But also from a management perspective, like you want to provide good service, so you want to manage your operation, it's actually easier to manage when you, when you have things under your control, your, your managerial control. When you outsource, you know, you got to you got the managers, you know, you got the head of the department, you got a contract manager, you got the company, you got the workers. So the workers now like four steps away from the people who want the work. Hard to train them, harder to train them, harder to keep them accountable, harder to create a team. So it's actually from a just from a doing things right perspective, contracting has has real downsides. 
Um, so we see more insourcing uh, people, uh, remunicipalizations of water systems that have been privatized, you know, brought back into the public control. See mm -hmm. those for sure. Uh, you know, in different states, there's some uh, California just passed some good laws, uh, legislation to make charter schools more accountable. Mm -hmm. um, they're privately operated, right. publicly funded schools right. that didn't have transparency, that didn't have, you know, there's some things that needed to make them really accountable to the public. Um, so we, you know, we see that. Um, in general, the kinds of things that are sort of what we would say would make, you know, kind of our overall say, policy agenda is make sure there's, there's transparency is key to everything. We need to be able to know because transparency is also key to democracy. If you don't know what's going on, you can't make good decisions. Um, uh, accountability and standards, right? We shouldn't have people working for the government or working for contractors who are, you know, who are on food stamps. That should be a never. We shouldn't have anybody working under contract for a government agency that doesn't have health care. These are, we are an employer. Hmm. The American people right. are an employer right. Right. of 20 million people who work directly for government agencies and probably another 10 or 20 million who work under contract. We are, a rep we, could, we should be the best employer. And in fact, if we're a great employer, we could also sol help solve inequality um, because people need decent wages and benefits right. and security. Um, and if security to learn more and be get, you know to get a you know to get higher skills and to move up a yeah. you know, particular yeah. career ladder. Yeah, you actually spell out questions that need to be asked when a governmental entity is looking to outsource, and, and yeah. that's a very helpful. Um, that's helpful to have. Well, yeah, it's just about due diligence. Right. I mean, we all contract for things. We hire someone to paint our house. We hire someone to, you know, like everybody contracts for things. Yeah. You could do it right and you could do it wrong. You do it, here's, and we all know the bottom line. We all know how to do it wrong. We underpay. We get a low bid, but we, you know, we go for the low bid, uh, and then they get halfway through the job and say, well, you know, I didn't budget enough paint. Can you, I need more money. <laughs> We know that. We do, we hire someone to, you know, do something, and we don't pay attention. <laughs> something goes wrong. Now, it wasn't that they're criminal or corrupt or whatever that, but it's just they didn't do it the way we wanted it because we weren't watching. <laughs> or they didn't, or they right. made a mistake. Yep. So we all know that. If you don't watch, bad things happen. That, it's sort of, and if you kind of lowball and treat the people who do the work not well, and they're going to steal. Mm -hmm. Or they're gonna, you know, or something's bad, or they're gonna cut some corner because they got a second job, right? Sort of, you got to be a good employer, right? You got to hold, you got to be a good manager. You got to hold people accountable, and you got to serve who we serve. And you know, when you're getting your house painted, they're serving you. When you're getting, when when there are new roads being built, they're serving us all. Yep. And again, in your your paper, dismantling democracy, you make a very clear and, and persuasive argument that. Um, there's been an acceleration in the dismantling of, of government services, yet at the same time, I think you're hopeful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, we're in very crazy political times right now. I think we're seeing, you know, all sorts of competing things. There's lots of people who realize just, you know, government can't just be about enriching a few people. Um, it's just not cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. There's only so much to go around. We got to make sure this works for everybody. Um, we got to look, you know, where we've done things wrong and fix it, how to do them right. And there's a lot of people who realize that governing really does matter. 
get all sorts of exciting young and not so young people getting elected to school boards and city council people who are just kind of motivated by, you know, in a bad way by what they're seeing and in a good way by what they want to do. They want to fix the economy for everybody. They want to clean the environment for everybody. They want the schools to be great. There's a lot of people who are getting involved in, you know, their communities and cities. That it's kind of cool. It's great. That's good to hear. Uh, I want to thank you, Donald Cohen, Executive Director of In the Public Interest. Uh, I would urge our listeners, please go to ITPI's website. They also have a good presence on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, you'll learn a heck of a lot. And I want to thank you for giving us your time today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Good. I'm Larry Dorman, and you've been listening to Council 4 Unplugged. As always, thanks for listening to our Council 4 Unplugged podcast. You can find us on all major social platforms by searching for Council 4 AFSME. Our website is council4.org. My name's Larry Dorman, and you've been unplugged. <laughs>